Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's another edition of the IdahoSports.com PrepCast. I'm Brandon Bainey. Thanks for being with us, whether you're listening to this via our podcast uh, delivery mechanism, whether that's uh, Apple or Spotify or Stitcher, whatever, uh, Google, wherever you get your podcasts at. Thanks for downloading it. Uh, we always ask that you rate, subscribe, and uh, review the podcast. Or if you're watching uh, this video on our YouTube channel, IdahoSports.com YouTube channel, or our Facebook page or other social media, whether you're taking it in via video or audio, thanks for being with us here on another edition of the IdahoSports.com PrepCast. We've got a great guest lined up for today, Brandon Huffman. He's a national recruiting editor from 24-7 Sports. Going to be talking about some of the top uh, football prospects that are on the radar for college coaches and recruiters. And so that's going to be a great interview, and we'll get to it in just a little bit. I wanted to go over a couple of things really quickly. Uh, friendly reminder that we are less than a month away from the relaunch of our podcast network here at idahosports.com. Uh, starting in August, we're going to be branching out and regionalizing our weekly prep casts. We're going to have a prep cast for each district in the entire state of Idaho, districts one, two, three, four, five, and six. And we've got an idahosports.com broadcaster in each district ready to rock and roll, giving you the regional information that you want to know. So, for example, our District 1 podcast, uh, District 1 prep cast up in Coeur d'Alene, right? The Coeur d'Alene area, North Idaho. We've got Ryan Skaggs, who's a Coeur d'Alene-based broadcaster for IdahoSports.com. And we're talking about all the big stories that apply just to the schools up north, whether it's Sandpoint or Coeur d'Alene or Post Falls or Lapway or whatever it is. So all you fans up north that think you don't get the attention and coverage that you deserve or fans in Southeast Idaho, District 5 or wherever you're at, We've got a weekly prep cast dedicated strictly to your area, your region, talking about the schools and teams that you follow and want to know more about. That starts in August. We're also launching a couple of other specialty prep casts starting in August as well. So stay tuned for that. Until then, I'm going to be here every week giving you new content, a new prep cast where we're interviewing different people like this week, as I mentioned, talking to Brandon Huffman, the national recruiting editor at 24-7 Sports. And as we're talking about you know, the top football players in the state and who might be recruited to, to move on to the next level. We also unveiled the new feature earlier this week. It's our top 10 position lists at idahosports.com. We started with the top 10 offensive linemen in the entire state of Idaho. Now, this is uh, not a comprehensive list by any means. This is just the editorial staff's opinion of who the top 10 offensive linemen heading into the season are. It covers all classification levels from 5A all the way down to 1A and all areas of the state, whether it's up north or western Idaho, central Idaho, southeast, wherever. We've got we've got you covered. Uh, but it was, you know, it's not just, hey, these are the 10 linemen that might move on to play college football. You know, some of the players that are on our list won't move on to play at the next level, but they're really outstanding high school players. And I think that was important to be recognized. You know, we're getting lots of feedback and comments on our social media, Facebook and Twitter, which is the point, right? I want to start a discussion and start a debate on, you know, who are the top 10 at each position. But uh, along with that, it's not strictly the guys that are going to go on to play college, the big time college recruits. It's that, you know, that's part of the consideration, but it's also, you know, their stats, their team success from a year ago, all state and all conference accolades. So really it's kind of the complete package. And so, yeah, with it only being limited to 10 players at each position, 
yeah, there's definitely going to be some tough omissions. And that's what I want. I want to spark that conversation. So every Monday for the next seven weeks, we are going to be unveiling a new top 10 position list. As I said, we started with the top 10 offensive linemen. Uh, next Monday, we'll move to the top 10 defensive linemen and so on and so forth. You can see it all at our website, idahosports.com. We're continuing to get those fall sports schedules in, uh, football, soccer, and volleyball schedules. Uh, so we're kind of just doing it as we get the schedules from each individual school. So, you know, maybe once a week, couple times a week, check back to idahosports.com and see if your favorite team's schedule has been uploaded yet. So just because it's the off season here at idahosports.com, you know, doesn't mean that we're not busy. We're going to be super busy this weekend broadcasting some of the Oregon All-State games. Yeah, I know it's idahosports.com, but especially on that Western and, and Northwestern, you know, side of the state we, we bump right up against oregon and so there's a lot of familiarity between oregon fans and idaho fans when it comes to football and we're going to be bringing you the all-state oregon games uh not just this weekend but also on the uh, 24th as well so that's going to be this saturday and you can get all the details online at idahosports.com all right that's enough of me blathering on here let's get to our guest today it's brandon huffman the national recruiting editor from 24-7 Sports. Now, we recorded this conversation late last week, and as we're talking about the number one recruit in the state of Idaho, Colston Loveland, the tight end from Gooding, we kind of speculated on where he might go. Well, over the weekend, he officially signed his letter of intent and committed to Michigan. So keep that in mind. And we kind of speculated that that's where Colston would end up committing. So that's already happened. So just a little bit of the behind the scenes here. But without further ado, here's Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor, 24-7 Sports. Thanks for uh, tuning in to the IdahoSports.com PrepCast. Welcome into another off-season edition of the IdahoSports.com PrepCast. A pair of Brandons talking today. I'm Brandon Bainey, and we're joined by Brandon Huffman, uh, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports. Brandon, thanks for joining us. How are you? Good, doing good. Thanks for having me on. And this is uh, like at IdahoSports.com. This is kind of our off season because we are primarily involved during the high school sports season. But for you, this is kind of like uh, almost your busiest time of the year, right? I, I'm looking forward to this off season that everybody else seems to get to experience, but me. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what you do um, at 24/7 Sports. So. My role is the national recruiting editor. So what I'm primarily in charge of covering is the recruiting process. You know, it's not just evaluations and stars. I think people think that's all we do all day is watch film. Yes, we watch a lot of film. Yes, we go to a ton of events. But my job is to cover the recruiting process, which schools are recruiting, which players, which players are leaning towards which schools, visiting those schools, how those visits went, how they perceive schools that have offered him to be as a factor in their recruitment. It's talking with schools to find out how those visits went that they hosted recruits and how they feel about their chances. So the recruiting angle, the recruiting coverage is largely what my job entails. But in addition to that, there is also the evaluation side. There's the, the rankings and stars, which everybody seems to focus on and really see when at the end of the day, I'm much more concerned with where a player is going to end up, which school he's going to select, which school he's going to choose, which school is recruiting him more so than you know what their evaluation or ranking is. Yeah, a lot of times, and we're, we're talking uh, mostly football today, football recruits as we get into uh, the summer and get ready for another season of Idaho high school uh, football. We'll tell you a couple of guys to keep an eye on as the season progresses. But yeah, you, you mentioned it, you know, the, the star ratings and the rankings in terms of state and national and region, you know, those are nice, but how many times do we see like a 
lightly regarded prospect go to a big time college and might be a two star recruit or a three star recruit and turn into like an NFL player. Not as often as people like to make it out to be. We all like to point out the exceptions. But at the end of the day, when you look at the NFL draft, you might have two or three two stars go in the first round, late developers, JUCO transfers. Maybe they transferred up. You see 10 to 12 five stars go in the first round. So there is always exceptions to the rule. It's how a seventh-round pick in the NFL draft can go on to be the winningest Super Bowl quarterback in NFL history. And another guy can be the number one pick in the 2000 NFL draft and be out of the NFL in two or three years. There's hits. There's misses, but I think people like to focus on the success stories. Who are the guys that outplayed their rankings rather than, hey, the guys that were predicted to be pretty good turned out to be pretty good, not as exciting, don't make for as great as sound bites, don't make for as good as pull quotes or social media graphics. But the reality is that we've gotten better at that because there's just so many more opportunities to evaluate guys. It's almost impossible to be ignored. I mean, we have a four-star player in the state of Idaho that I saw Going into his junior year, going into his at the end of his sophomore season, he's a four star. I had him ranked as a four star before any national offers came in. So that's how much the I would say the evaluation context has improved over the, the 18, 19 years since I first started. Where when I first started, the only way coaches knew about you is if your high school coach thought you were an absolute dude and he made a VHS tape for you. Now everybody's got a huddle. Middle schoolers, elementary school age kids have a huddle link. There's that expectation that because I have a huddling, I am now a Division One prospect when the numbers just don't necessarily back that up. Yeah, the uh, athletes themselves have taken on a lot of the ownership of if I want to get noticed, I need to put myself out there. You look at an athlete's Twitter handle now, and all the pertinent info is listed kind of in the in the bio, right? 40 time, height and weight, GPA, all that stuff. I think what's really become kind of the factor, and this is what I hear about from a lot of people, well, He's not really getting the exposure that he's due. I'm like, well, a lot of time exposure is self-made. You have to create it yourself. You can create it. Uh, There's a recruit I covered about 10 years ago. He actually works for a good friend of mine now, and he talked about playing at a Pac-12 school. And I'll never forget, even the school that signed him said, there has been nobody that basically spoke their own recruitment into existence more than him because the kid marketed himself so well Ended up signing with the Pac-12 school. He never played a down at that school, but got a degree, won a Pac-12 uh, or was a part of a Pac-12 uh, division championship, all because he knew how to market himself. Well, now everybody's marketing themselves. So what's the way you're kind of making yourself unique? What's the niche that you're showing for yourself to get the attention of college coaches? And so that's the thing. If you're not getting exposure, it's largely because you're not exposing yourself to the people that matter, i.e. college coaches. So let's dive into the state of Idaho. Uh, the recruiting buzz right now stops and ends with Colston Loveland from Gooding, the four-star prospect that you alluded to earlier. What what do you see when you look at a player like uh, Colston Loveland from Gooding? I see just a unique pass-catching tight end who can also be a traditional inline blocker. He's kind of the complete package as a tight end. You know, more and more, and I say this as a former high school tight end who played in the VR offense, you have a lot of tight ends that are essentially extra offensive linemen wearing wide receiver numbers. Then you have some tight ends that are more wide receivers that you're going to flex out, but they couldn't block anybody to protect their quarterback slide. So they're more of a big flex receiver uh, than a true traditional tight end. But then you see those guys that are the traditional, they can do it all. They can block. They can you know get out into the open field and make catch. They can make people miss. They can be a threat in the vertical passing game. They can be a red zone threat. 
And those are the tight ends that really are the ones that become that much more desirable. Sure, the Rob Gronkowski types that are specifically known for their pass-catching ability are attractive. But there's a reason Tony Gonzalez is considered one of the greatest tight ends of all time because he was just as effective blocking and sealing off the edge to allow for running backs to run off his blocks as he was for his red zone capability. So when you watch Colson, you see a guy who with his size serves as that sixth offensive lineman. He's able to block guys off the edge. He's able to open up holes, create holes with the right tackle or with the left tackle for the running back. But then you're going to line him up and he is going to be a problem for linebackers to cover because of his side. He's going to be a problem for for DBs to cover because of his size and his speed. He's going to be a problem for corners to cover because of his strength. So he becomes a matchup nightmare. When you have a guy who's six foot five, who's got the catch radius that he has, he's got the length, he's got this wide catch radius that you put it anywhere near him, he's going to be able to go pluck it. So linebackers are going to struggle to cover him. DBs are going to struggle to cover him. You're not even going to attempt to put a defensive end on him in coverage because he's just going to run right by him. So he's got this unique blend where he can be a blocker. He can be a pass catcher. He could be a, a threat who's going to draw men over to him that's going to open up passing lanes for the receivers or for the backside of the backfield because of how much attention he's going to draw. And when you see a guy like Jim Harbaugh going in on him, when you see Nick Saban and Alabama offering him, but, but more so with Harbaugh. I mean, this is a guy who in one recruiting class signed Zach Ertz, Levine Toy Lolo, and Ryan Hewitt, found a way to put them all at different spots on the field, even though they were all tight ends, and got all three drafted and went to the NFL. Nobody's done a better job nationally, I think, recruiting the tight end position and developing the tight end position like Jim Harbaugh has. And so you can see why he's going to Gooding, Idaho, to find a guy who fits perfectly into what the modern-day modern tight end really is looked at. Yeah, it was eye-opening uh, earlier this summer in, in spring when Alabama was showing interest. Uh, they've kind of fallen off a little bit, and Michigan seems to be the hot team. Now, I mean, what are you hearing in terms of um, Loveland and which schools might be a good fit? A lot of buzz coming in for Michigan right now. He took an official visit out to Michigan this past weekend. It was kind of interesting because the visit was originally supposed to be to Colorado. He ended up flipping middle of the week and decided he was going to visit Michigan. The Wolverines definitely did not hold anything back. They really did everything they could to convince him to leave Idaho, to leave the Pac-12 footprint. Because if you look at his three previous official visits, they were to Oregon State, Arizona, and Arizona State. So he also had the opportunity to stay in home. Boise State brought him in for an unofficial visit. But there's a lot of buzz that he's going to leave the Pac-12 footprint. You know, the last time there was a – really, if you go back to the last two heavily recruited Idaho natives with – Tommy Tungiai and then Tristan Hodge a few years before that, both of those guys ended up going to the Midwest. Obviously, Tristan Hodge ended up bouncing back to BYU, but he signed with Notre Dame out of high school. Tommy Tungiai picked Ohio State over Washington. Now he's in the NFL. Colson Yankoff, he was from Coeur d'Alene. He basically was a West Coast kid anyway. He was from Southern California before he moved to Coeur d'Alene. He went the Pac-12 route, but Tungiai and Hodge were both those elite national recruits who had everybody in the country after him, and they felt the Midwest probably fit the closest to what they experienced in Pocatello, to what they experienced in Idaho, and made those selves natural spots. Now, you look at, at Colston, there really isn't a, any desire on his part. Alabama was after him. Auburn offered him. Brian Harson offered him. You know, LSU. But it seemed like Michigan was the only school outside that Western Pac-12 slash Boise State footprint that he really seriously considered. Yeah, it is. Uh, it doesn't happen often where uh, Idaho players leave, like you said, that Pac-12 Mountain West footprint in terms of going over to the other part of the country. Let's talk about he's a four-star recruit. How often 
does Idaho have a have a recruit that's four stars or high? Well, I think I, I just named two of the most three recent. The other one, and I mentioned Colson Lovelands or uh, Colson Yankov. So really, you go back to probably about the 2014 2015 class, and there's been four. You had Tristan Hodge. Uh, who ended up being the starter at BYU. You had Tommy Tungiai, who was a key part of Ohio State's two playoff teams, including one that played for a national championship. Colson Yankoff, I think injuries and the transfer never really have gotten him on track at Washington or at UCLA. Um, but now you have Colson Loveland, who is kind of a unicorn, if you will, because he is that four-star guy. And in a time where the pandemic really wreaked havoc on exposure, it was him going to a camp in Washington last summer that I happened to be at that my son was working out at that I got my chance to see him. And it was more than just the film evaluation. It was able to get those eyes on him and verify he's this tall. He's this big. He weighs this much. He runs this well. And I think that that has helped him because nowadays, you know, if there's no camps and no opportunity for Idaho kids to get to, it's harder for those guys to get recruited. And it's certainly to get harder to get recruited by national programs. Yeah, let's talk about last year. It was weird because the pandemic and college coaches couldn't even come make visits. And so, how how much has the landscape changed now that we're kind of past the pandemic and slowly getting back to normal? I still think the twenty twenty two class is is paying for the sins of the pandemic. And what I mean by that is that it's so late in the cycle that even when the dead period ended at the end of May and the quiet period took over in June and camps were available, unofficial visits were available, official visits were available. So many schools had their recruiting board set since December. With the early signing period now, more and more players are deciding earlier. You're seeing far less players wait till February. And with the pandemic, we had an all-time record high of how many early commits between last April, May, and June were happening. Schools were panicking. Players were panicking. So guys were committing earlier because there was no certainty to when the NCAA would open schools up. Well, as a result of those early commitments from the 2021 class, 2022 recruiting boards were starting to get set much earlier. So quarterbacks, sight unseen. A lot of these quarterbacks have literally never had a coach watch them throw up until now. Last year, at least with the 2021, coaches could watch them throw in January if they wanted to. They were probably more likely to be at camps going into their junior years before the pandemic. But now quarterbacks in this class would have been going into their sophomore years the last summer that there was available for camp. So the 2022 class has essentially been behind the eight ball more than the 21 class, in my opinion, because they lost not one spring evaluation period, but two. Then they lost last summer when it's really that time to get yourself on the map. And so a lot of these 22s are going to camps, but coaches are already filling up at positions and they're really looking to 2023. And we haven't even gotten into the NCAA transfer portal and how much that's affecting recruiting classes. That's a big factor. And also everybody getting an extra year, essentially, of eligibility because of the pandemic is creating roster crunches. I know at a lot of big programs as well. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a mess, I think, for at least two or three more years until we kind of get it all smoothed out. Let's talk about uh, we talked about Colston Loveland, the four star tight end from Gooding. Who are some other guys in Idaho that are at the top of the leaderboard for recruiting? Tiger Adolfo is the number two player in the state right now. He's out of Rigby, helped them win a state championship. Originally from Kahuku, the North Shore uh, school in Hawaii, probably the best public school in the state of Hawaii. But when Hawaii pulled the plug on the season, a number of players, I mean, if Kahuku had a season last year with the amount of players that left Kahuku High School, we all know St. Louis High School. So Marcus Mariota went or Tua Tonga Vailoa, but Kahuku has been that public school power. They had probably eight to 10 guys that would have normally played for them 
go to states their football was being played. Rigby, Idaho is the recipient of some. Utah got a lot of those players. But Tiger originally came from Kahuku, went to Idaho, was actually, I think, in Boise before he ended up at Rigby. He has offers from Kansas and Hawaii. Uh, Ethan Makita out of Eagle, Idaho, one of my favorite players to watch this spring right behind him. Uh, you've also got a guy that I got a chance to see for the first time this past weekend when I was at the Rare Showcase in Boise, and that's Tal Johnson out of Thunder, uh, Thunder Ridge High School from Idaho Falls. I believe he was the state 100-meter champion and may have been the 200-meter champion, but the fastest kid in the state of Idaho. He's a quarterback by trade. That's the position that he plays for his team. But watching him at the Rare Showcase as a receiver, he looks like a natural route runner. He's got big sky offers, but I think as he has been much more open to playing receiver, that's going to open up his recruitment immensely. He might end up being a top three or four player in the state of Idaho when it's all said and done. So how do, how do coaches evaluate a player like that, a guy that's going to play quarterback for his high school team but isn't going to play quarterback necessarily in college? Is it strictly through camps and things like yeah. that? It really is. It's go to camp, go work out at this position, and then let's see if you can do it. Another kid that I saw do that at that camp was Brett Spencer out of, uh, I want to say he's out of uh, Wiser, um, Idaho. You know, he's a quarterback by trade, actually went to the Stanford camp last week. They had to move, work out as a safety. And then at the rare showcase, he worked out as a receiver. It's not to say they don't think he can play quarterback. It's to say, we think you've got the ability to help us in a number of ways. We want to get you and find a way to get you on our team. We may have a guy at your spot that's a little bit more polished, a little bit more ready, but your athleticism is impossible to ignore. Let's find a spot for you. So that's where the camps become crucial is that these guys then go to the camps they may go work out with one group and then the coaches say, hey, you know what? You go play that group, no chance to play for us. But go work out with that group. Now you've got a chance to play for us. And so guys are having to weigh what their heart's telling them about what they played on Friday nights to then listen to what their head is now telling them about what they potentially could play on Saturdays. Let's talk about a couple of other recruits here that you've got listed in the top 10. Bruin Fleshman, number four on the latest list. Uh, he is a kid at Century that was going to be the starting quarterback last year. And after one game, they said, well, let's move you to receiver and see if that is any better. And he really took off in Florida. She's going to go to Air Force uh, to be a tight end. That was a very early commit that he committed to earlier in the spring. What do you look at when you see Bruin Fleshman? Well, first of all, I look at the fact that Bruin and Titan, you know, his brother that I want to say signed at Montana maybe a year ago. I mean, we, we got some of the best names, uh, yeah. you know, in the, in the country. I think he signed with Montana State. Sorry. Uh, so, first of all, that's some of the best names that you're going to find. Uh, but you see a guy who's got kind of what Air Force is looking for, you know, a guy that can be a really good blocker. And for a guy who was a quarterback to develop an ability to block, it's not easy. As I said earlier, you know, being a tight end in the veer, you know, tight, uh, blocking is not something that just overnight you're good at. You have to develop at it. And when you go to Air Force, if you go to Army, you go to Navy, you go to any of the service academies, those are run-heavy programs. And part of the reason they go run-heavy is because they don't get the depth of talent that the national programs do. So they have to have kind of a niche to what they do. Well, you know, if you're going to Air Force as a tight end, you're going to be called upon to block, but you're also going to be as that tight end a big feature part of the offense. So, you know, being a tight end at a service academy is like being a tight end at a Jim Harbaugh offense. You become the focal point of the passing game. You're not going to see a lot of receivers going deep, running posts, running goes, running slugger routes, trying to get wide open. That's just not the way that the offense is being ran. 
the quarterbacks are typically going to be dual threat guys that can run more than they can pass or running is a better aspect of the game. So they're not going to be these big arm guys. They're going to go 50, 60 yards. They're going to want to be those short intermediate route passers that are going to find guys that are 6'4", 215, 220. And I think with Bruin, you get a guy that's going to be a threat in the Mountain West in the vertical passing game because he does have that quarterback background. He's got the size, the length to be a pass catcher, uh, but he's going to be utilized as a bigger part of that passing offense than maybe he would at other schools that have receivers that can go. They have quarterbacks that can get the arm down there. So I really like what, what he did. And like you said, he made that commitment early on. I think his recruitment would have seen a bigger bump too had he waited through the spring, gone to some camps, see it. But when you have a brother go through the recruiting process, you become a little bit more uh, knowledgeable about how things work and what coach speak really is like. And when a coach says, oh, we want to get you in camp, that's usually code word for saying, we're not that into you, but hey, come back in a few months. And if we miss out on some targets, then we'll turn around to you. Some guys are just smart enough to see through and say, this is where I want to go. The education you're going to get at Air Force, the, you know, the long-term uh, alumni association, there's a lot of things that weighed heavily for them. It's not too far from home. Jonathan Himmelbach's the tight ends coach at Air Force. He's been around. He's coached in the Pac-12. He's coached in the ACC. He's been in the Mountain West. And I think that's a great pickup and a great uh, partnership there between Bruin Fleischman and Air Force. Almost everybody in your top 10 pretty much decided football is going to be what they pursue. But Jack Payne, who is at was at Boise High, he's now transferred to Hawaii, the brand-new high school that is opening this fall. He is getting football looks, but he the basketball offers have really started to heat up as well. He's had three Division One offers just this week, including from the Idaho Vandals in-state. So with a player like that, how much do college coaches uh, invest in a kid knowing that he may pursue a different sport in college? Well, and I think to, to give it a little bit of context, too, I look at this year's class, the 2021 class. The number one ranked player in the country is a kid named JT Tuinwolowal, who has still yet to make a decision. And six guys in his class were on campuses six months ago. But he's also a basketball player. Oregon and Washington, two of his final five, have offered him specifically just to play basketball. If he didn't want to play football, they would give him that opportunity. But there's also the, the understanding that you're going to that school to play football first, you're not going to play basketball until football season's done. When you're a quarterback, it's even that much more difficult. The last time I can remember, it wasn't too long ago, actually. It was last year. Drew Carter out of the state of Oregon ended up signing with Colorado as their quarterback, but he's also a point guard. And Tad Boyle said, you can play basketball. His AAU basketball team had JT on it. It had Paulo Monchero, who's the number two player in the country for basketball, going to Duke. But it's easy to say when you're a senior in high school, I'm going to go play football and basketball. It's a lot more difficult to do. Now throw in being a quarterback. Do you really want to be playing basketball when you should be getting ready for the offseason? So I think it's it's admirable that some guys kind of say, I'm going to focus on hoops rather than I'm going to do both. Because when you're a quarterback, you really are the only player at your position that a school is going to bring in in any one class. So with these offers for basketball and not for football, he's seeing where he's a priority. He's seen that there's a likelihood he plays as a true freshman. And so I can see him going that route and having that opportunity. But having said that, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen a lot of guys that they think that they're a basketball player and their size may not be conducive to the wear and tear at that position. So, you know, and I'm not saying this about Jack. I'm just saying this about a lot of basketball players in general. If you like living in Prague, the Czech Republic, in the middle of November while you're playing professional basketball overseas – a lot of times that's where 5'10 point guards 
end up, instead of being a 5'10 corner or a 5'10 slot, or let's say you're a 6'5 defensive end, but now you're a 6'5 power forward, hey, you can still make a nice living in Europe, but you can make a great living as a 6'5 edge rusher playing on Sundays. Definitely. And yeah, Jack Payne, definitely closer to that six, five than that, uh, that five ten. Um, so let's talk about real quick. There's three division one colleges in, in Idaho, Boise state, Idaho state and Idaho. How are their classes looking? I, I know Boise state always does well, but, but Idaho and Idaho state are trying to find their footing in the big sky conference, ha- having a tough time, but how are they looking? Well, it, it, here's what's fascinating. First of all, like you said, you know, Boise state, they're always going to get their guys. I've said this for, you know, 12 years since they won their first Fiesta Bowl. They're essentially the Gonzaga of college football. They're going to recruit above their weight, their weight every year. They're going to punch above their weight class every year. And now you bring in Andy Avalos back and obviously his fondness for his alma mater, his ties, but more importantly, his last two years having been at Oregon, which has been recruiting among the best programs in the country, now having been a part of what does Oregon do differently to compete against the USC's, against the Washington's that are in bigger cities, that are in bigger fertile recruiting gowns. Now he's bringing that back to Boise, but he's also bringing some coaches with them that have some connections and ties around the West. So I think Boise State's always going to be at the top in the Mountain West. In the years that they're not at the top, it's simply a numbers game. They won't sign as many as everybody else, but I think they're running on about 12, 13 years in a row where they have the average rating highest in the Mountain West per recruit. They're still signing the best quality in the class or in the conference each and every year. What going to Idaho and out of state, what's been really fascinating is ever since Idaho went back down to the big sky, Idaho state has really ramped up their own recruiting efforts. Idaho has always been visible on the West coast and especially in the Northwest, but I've seen more and more Idaho state offers going to not just players in state, but to going to players outside the state of Idaho as if they're trying to say, Hey, we were in the big sky before you guys came back. You know, this is our territory. And though, even though Idaho has the, well, we were an FBS program, you were an FCS, Idaho state has known kind of their role. They know where they sit. So it's been kind of fascinating to watch those two schools recruit against each other in state to see them recruit out of state. It's, it's very rare to find an in-state kid that does it. If he's got an offer from one, he likely has an offer from the other. The other caveat being thrown in there, though, and we'll see if this continues with Jeff Choate now at Texas, but Montana State's starting to become a pain in the rear to Idaho and Idaho State with in-state kids. And they've signed a number of top kids in-state the last couple of years from Idaho and just got them to drive over a state east and go to Montana State. So will Montana State continue to do that with Jeff Choate gone? Who knows? Obviously, he had a lot of ties to Boise State himself, so he knew the land, the landscape and the footprint that he wanted to recruit. But now when you're Idaho and Idaho State, it's hard enough to have to recruit against when a Boise State comes in and recruits that kid or another Mountain West kid, kid comes in. But when you're even your own conference, you've got other states that are now acknowledging, hey, there's talent in Idaho. Let's go get it. That makes it that much more difficult. So it's been fun to watch those two schools battle against each other. And, you know, neither school has a ton of recruits right now that are committed. I don't think either school has a commit that I know of, but they're both being mentioned with a lot of in-state kids. And now you got Montana State coming in there and trying to rabble-rouse a bit. We're talking to Brandon Huffman with uh, 24-7 Sports. You can go to 247sports.com to look at the uh, class of 2022 and uh, see who the top uh, players are in the state of Idaho heading into the season. Who, who's somebody outside the top 10, somebody maybe lower on the list that you think has a chance to, to rise up with strong play as the season gets going? 
You know, the guy that I'm probably the most interested in watching over the course of the next year is Fisher Clements. You know, one of the things that I love about this West Coast group is that it's one of the best tight end classes in the 2022-2023 class. And Idaho's got four players that are in the top, you know, 13 that are tight ends. So, again, maybe I'm biased towards tight ends being one myself. But the reality is you look at Colston Loveland offers as a tight end from all of the programs. you got Cody Walk. Offers as a tight end from the in-state programs. You got Bruin Fleischman, who's already committed to a Mountain West school as a tight end. So Fisher Clements may not be getting the attention of those guys. Part of that's because he's originally from Sacramento area in California, moved to Idaho prior to his junior season play. Got a chance to watch him this last week. He's got the length that you want. He just needs to get stronger. And so I think that now that he's at a school and people know he's at that school rather than being lost in transition. A lot of guys that made moves this last year from California to states that were playing football in the fall were kind of out of sight, out of mind. Nobody knew that they had left. And so unless you were a guy like a Darius Clemens who left Oregon to go to Utah and ended up being out of school in Utah that had a former BYU coordinator as their OC, a lot of guys kind of slipped under the radar. So Fisher has slipped under the radar a bit, but I've seen him a lot. I can tell you with that size and with the tools that he has, if he can just get a little bit stronger. And I told him this after the camp this weekend. Hit the weight room. That's really the thing you need. You've got the size. You've got the length. But linebackers were able to muscle him up a bit. If he now is playing at 6'5", 240, 245, now you're playing with a whole new set of tax possibilities in that regard. So that's the guy that I would say keep an eye on. He will eventually move himself into that conversation with the other in-state tight ends. And he's at Mountain View, and they always go deep into the playoffs, so it would be a chance to really shine on the biggest stage. Real quick, I wanted to ask you about Talon Togiai, another Rigby Trojan. He is a second cousin to Tommy Togiai, but but that's a name that's not common, and obviously it's a name that's at the forefront of a lot of minds right now because Tommy Togiai did just get drafted in the NFL. How much, how much does the name recognition get him, and how much is it like he's got to go earn it with his play on the field? Well, that, and that's a good question because I think early on that name recognition helped with some of his early recruitment. But then he's kind of gone under the radar. Nobody's seen him at any camp. So now those offers now might become a little bit more difficult to land because has he developed in the offseason? Is he really 6'6"? Is he really 290 pounds? Or is he 6'4", 270? I mean, I'm not saying that he's one way or the other, but that's why coaches want to see these guys without the ability to go on the road during the evaluation period essentially saying get to these camps so we can eyeball you uh you know you look a year ago luke togiai another togiai had early offers but then as the pandemic hit he kind of fell out of people's uh radar and he ended up not signing anywhere um two years ago i think it's talon's older brother who ended up being the number two player in the state kanoa signed with the university of utah he had the benefit of the spring he was also a hooper so he had aau basketball where people knew about him ends up signing at university of utah and was on people's radar so in a time where there's no camps and a time where college coaches aren't flying to boise or to the state of idaho in this case pocatello or rigby in droves you got to get to them so that they can back up what they offered on film and now see for their own eyes okay he checks every one of these boxes all right, Brandon Huffman, national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Thank you for – I know you're a busy guy, so I, I appreciate you uh, blocking out a chunk of time for us. It's been a lot of fun uh, talking Idaho recruits and Idaho college football programs, and uh, maybe we can check back in uh, down the road as we get closer to signing day. Please do. Look forward to it. Thanks for uh, having me on the talk.